Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second hmm. Timothy chapter 4. Roger Engler uh, told me he's done with physical therapy, and he had two full knee replacements. I'm still going, so I must be flunking or something. I don't know. I went to physical therapy this week, and the uh, therapist led me over to a thing and pointed to it, and uh, it was a chair device kind of down low on, on an incline. It looked like they'd left some parts off of it. And it had four big round weights on the back of it. And he took two of those weights off and basically pointed to it and said, get with it, you know. And, and I got down there and pushed and nothing happened. I pushed with all my might. Oh, and he says, is it too much weight? <laughs> and I felt, felt like saying, you think? <laughs> so he took one off and I managed to make it move a little bit farther. Um, how strong are you? There are lots of ways to measure strength, lots of tests to use. I, I've had all kinds of tests before my surgery and after and in the physical therapy trying to figure out how strong I am or where the weaknesses are, that sort of thing. The entire book of 2 Timothy is about strength. And there are a whole series of tests referred to. And today... We're going to come to the ultimate test, and that is how we face death. The ultimate test in this life is how we face death. And the Apostle Paul is going to give us essentially his testimony, and it's a very challenging testimony. Follow as I read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. <clears throat> For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, as we read the rest of the chapter, we're going to understand that the Apostle Paul doesn't expect to lose his life for the sake of Christ tomorrow, but he expects that it's imminent. It's in a season when he knows it's coming to a, a, a conclusion where he's going to lose his life. Um, and we would know that from reading the rest of the book where he asks Timothy to come to him and to bring some things. So clearly he, he thinks it's going to be a matter of weeks or maybe even two or three months um, until. And so it's not like tomorrow this is coming, but it's very soon. And we would understand, first of all, that Paul was strong in the face of death because he saw his death as the completion of his dedication to God. Look at verse 6. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now the words a drink offering are supplied in our text. The word that he uses is the word poured out. And there's a clear 
connection to the idea of a drink offering, which is from the Old Testament. The, the word poured out is, is where we get our word spend. In Greek, it's spendomai. I am already being spent. I am already being poured out. He seems to be referring to the Old Testament plan of sacrifice. When we think of sacrifice, we always think of the animal on the, on the altar. But there was more than that. There was the, the portion that was burned, which would have been the fat and so on. They didn't burn up the whole animal necessarily. There were times when they did that. But there was the portion that was burned. And then there was a grain offering, which would be something waved. And then there was wine poured out onto the sacrifice. And so when Paul says, I am already being poured out, he seems to be saying, of of the stages of sacrifice, I'm at the last one. I'm at the end. But he also is referring to the fact that his life was at God's disposal. Paul wrote these words by God's inspiration. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The Apostle Paul said, by God's inspiration, he said, what you should do is place your body on the altar, and, and not that you die and stop living, but you place it there in an act of worship to God, and then you live as though you have given your life to God. And God several times uses the word body about our connection to him and there's a there's a reason for that and and this is really profound you can't do anything without your body now i know some people think they can Allah Shirley McLean or whoever but here's what i'm saying if god had said give your mind to me some people would be inclined to sit around and think some thoughts but maybe not do some deeds. And God says, give me your body. That is, give it all to me. Place it on the altar and then live your life as a sacrifice that's already been given to me. That's how the Apostle Paul sought to live. Here's the way it worked out in his life. He said, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be an apostle because I persecuted the church. He had a great sense of his own sinfulness and what a blessing it was to be saved by Christ. And so what did he do? He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. He said, I recognize God's work in me, and so I serve him. We don't serve God to earn his favor, to, to uh, you know, earn our salvation. We serve God out of appreciation. The Apostle Paul had laid his body at God's disposal. He said, here I am. And he went out to serve the Lord in that sense of dedication. And so, the Apostle Paul viewed anything that God allowed to happen to his body as an act of worship. The question we have to ask ourselves today as we approach death and say, am I confident, am I strong, am I ready? Is your physical life at God's disposal? 
Can he do with it as he pleases to accomplish his good in the world? With your physical life. Is it okay if he chooses to grant you the privilege of living with a physical limitation? Is it okay if he chooses to allow you to suffer an illness that causes a permanent disability? Is it okay if he takes you home at a young age? Can you say with Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust him? If, if we have placed our body, our whole life on the altar and said, God, it's yours, then whatever he does with it is fine. That's where the Apostle Paul was. He said, he said I'm already being poured out. I'm to the, I've, I've given my whole life to God and now it's at the very end and, and God is pouring out the last little bit, the last little act of worship. And so he was okay with that. Paul was strong in the face of death, secondly, because he saw his death as the beginning of his eternal life with God. There is a wonderful word here. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now, the word that he uses here for departure literally means unloosing or, or, or an untying one of the ways it was used in secular Greek was when you untied a boat. It's tied up to the dock. You untie it because it's going somewhere. Or they would use it of, of untying a tent. You know, you use ropes, you know, to hold up a tent. So they would untie it because they're going to pack it up and go somewhere. The Apostle Paul, elsewhere in Scripture, used the word that Jesus used of death. He used the word sleep. In 1 Thessalonians 4, don't be sorry, don't be sad about those who are asleep because they're going to, you know, and so on. And he could have used the word death. The word death is used in the New Testament as well, but he didn't. He didn't say, I'm about to die. He said, I'm about to take the final trip. I'm about to depart. I'm, I'm about to make a transition, if you will. And of course, that's based on on other scripture that God had given through him. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, our bodies, if we know that if it's destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with heavens, eternal in, in the heavens. For in this one we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our dwelling which is from heaven. Have you done any groaning lately? Over your physical body, some of you are young enough, you go, oh, that sounds like something for old people. Right on. How about this? Next time you go to the dentist, kids, and he sticks that thing up in your, and he says, hey, does that hurt? And it hurts? You're groaning, okay? Wow. In this one we groan. <sighs> Peter talks about this. I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up. In other words, as long as I'm alive in, on this earth, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. The whole concept for the Christian is that our existence never stops. That's what this verse is about. We're confident. Yes, well pleased, rather, rather to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. If you are a Christian... 
your death will be a transition. You will close your eyes here and open them in heaven. And so the Apostle Paul viewed his death not as some big terrible conclusion. He viewed it as the door to eternity. The time of my departure is at hand. And certainly as believers, we ought to have a a degree of excitement about that element. It's hard to leave, but it ought to be exciting to go. Paul was strong in the face of death because he had been courageous in God's ways. This has to do with the, the way the Apostle Paul saw his life and the reality of his life as he looked backward. Look at verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There are many elements in life which call for the courage to fight. And the first and foremost is the fight against sin in each of our lives. The Apostle Paul looked back and he said, I have fought the good fight. Sometimes we get an image of, of the Apostle Paul or Peter or one of the other apostles as being so perfectly righteous that they would never do anything wrong. And yet Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 7 when he talked about the battle between, between the remnants of his sinful nature and his righteous nature. And he talked about how hard it was to, to, to do the things that he wanted to do and he was pulled towards sinful things. He struggled with that. And yet, he fought the fight. He never gave up on the fight. I discipline my body. This should be verse 27, not verse 7. I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. In the King James, it says, I beat my body. Now, he didn't physically beat himself, but the concept of discipline here is, is one that includes negative reinforcement in order to get a proper behavior. And he said, I take a hold of my flesh and I say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And so at the end of Paul's life, when he looks back, he says, I have fought the good fight. You notice he didn't say I was perfect. He didn't say I was perfect, but he had worked at righteousness. Number two, Paul had fought false doctrine. This is another fight that God calls all believers to. And here's an example of it. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. What we have here, if you're not familiar with this this passage of Scripture, is Peter caving in to peer pressure in the church. Peer pressure of a wrong sort. And what I mean is, there were people in the church who said, now, Jews and Gentiles are supposed to stay separate, and you can't eat with them, you can't really fellowship with them, you need to stay separate over here. Now that was wrong, that was not God's truth, that was not God's idea, but some of the Jewish folks were practicing some things from the Old Testament and some of their own ideas that were wrong, And but there was so much pressure that Peter went along and Barnabas went along with it. And so what did Paul do when he came to Galatia and he found out what was going on? It says he withstood him to the face. Does that sound like he 
he rang him up and said, Now, Peter, something's a little messed up here, buddy. No, it sounds like he, they had a face-to-face -face confrontation. And he said, Peter, what in the world are you doing? You know this is right. Peter, you're the guy that God gave the vision to about eating all of the animals, clean and unclean. You're the guy that God used to go to the Gentiles, to share the gospel with them. And, and you have seen the Holy Spirit work in them. You know they're believers just like us. Why in the world are you separating yourself now from the Gentiles? Paul was courageous by God's word. He wasn't just mean or, or a bully. He said, hey, there is truth and we are going to stand for the truth. The third thing that Paul fought for was Paul fought sin in the church. In 1 Corinthians 5, we read this, For I indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, I have already judged, as though I were present, him who has done this deed, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. What was going on here was this. There was a man in the church at Corinth who was living in sexual sin of a very... If, if, if there are degrees of that, his was extra bad. And, and the people in the church were going, well, you know, I don't want to say anything. And in fact, if we see the word glorying here, somehow your glorying is not good. Were they acting like people in the world today who say, well, we're real mature and sophisticated about these things? It could be. It could have been that bad. And the Apostle Paul knew how it would be received, but he did it anyway. He said, listen, folks, you need to take action here and you need to judge this because this person's sin is affecting the church. That's what he, the, the idea of leaven is that when you put some, some yeast into some flour with water and so on, it affects the whole batch and he says, sin in the church is like yeast in the, in the bread. It affects the whole thing. And he said, you have to do something about it. The Apostle Paul could look back in his life and say, I was courageous to fight sin in the church. The last thing that Paul fought was the devil. 2 Corinthians 11, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, talking about the Corinthian believers, for I have engaged you or betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste version to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. The Apostle Paul knew the dangers of uh, doctrine that, that Satan inspires and carries around. And uh, he knew that he had to fight against that and so he did. Paul fought the good fight to which God called him. Here's the question for us today, Christian. What happens when the going gets tough for you? If you're going to live righteously, you are going to have to fight. Number one, yourself. Your own sinful desires will be strong and you will have to say no and you will have to do some radical things to make sure 
you, you stay righteous. You know, when Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Well, he wasn't encouraging us to literally cut off our right hand, but he was encouraging us to do radical things in order to make sure we're righteous. I read about a man who had a problem with his eyes and the computer, and so he got rid of his computer. Say, well, boy, isn't he mature enough to handle that? Apparently he wasn't. And it was the beginning of him getting a handle on this problem in his life. He just said, you know, if that's what it takes for me to be righteous, I'm going to get rid of the thing. Radical amputation of sin. If you're going to live righteously, you will have to fight. If you're going to stand for God's whole truth, you're going to be in some scuffles. And I'm not talking about fist fights. If you're going to stand up to the devil and the world that he runs, you are going to get some bruises and maybe get bloodied once in a while. It's going to be challenging, but God will give us the victory. The fourth reason that Paul was strong in the face of death is this. He had completed God's plan for his life. Look at, the word, uh, at verse uh, 7 again. I have fought the good fight. Secondly, I have finished the race. The word for race there is actually the word for the track or the course. We would call it a, a race track or a race course. You know, the cars go around on the race track or, or people run on a track. Or when you have a cross-country race, there is a track set out all through town or wherever. And he said, I have completed the course. I have completed the course. What was the course set out for Paul? Well, we read about it a little bit here. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, he called me through his grace. And here's what he called. He called to reveal his son in me and that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This, these verses refer to both Paul's salvation and the ministry God wanted him to have. That, this is where we get the idea or the phrase that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. That was God's call in his life. And, and here's, here we can read about him living it out. And so I've made up my aim to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was already named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. You want to know what Paul's plan was for the ministry? He said, I'm going to find every place where Christ has not been named, and I'm going to go there and preach. I knew, a, I knew a pastor, a man who graduated from seminary. He had been a Navy SEAL. And when he graduated from seminary, there were several opportunities to do ministry. He said there was one opportunity in a big church to be a pastor on a, on a big staff and, and so on. And then he said, but you know, I looked around and I thought, I want to find a place on the front lines that really needs some help. And he went to a podunk church in a podunk place back in... Tennessee or Kentucky or somewhere. And I thought, what an honorable choice to say, I'm going to go where there's a great need. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He said, you know, they're, they're, James is over there with the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. I don't need to go to Jerusalem. And, and, and so-and-so's here. Timothy's in Ephesus. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to go out there. In fact, he had a plan. And here's the plan at, toward the end of his life. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire to see the people in Rome, 
Whenever I journey to Spain, I will come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey. The Apostle Paul, I don't, I don't know if he had a map of the Mediterranean. I don't know if they made maps back then. I, I'm sure there were some maps, but somehow he knew geography. And there was one time in his ministry when he was standing approximately in what we would call Lebanon today, and, and he wanted to go east, like up to Turkey. And he tried to go, and, and the Holy Spirit kept him from going there, and instead he went west toward Greece. And so his plan was to keep going as far as he could west. In that day, Spain was way out there on the edge of the world. And so his plan was to go to Spain. And he told the people in Rome, when I go to Spain, I'm going to stop by you on the way. Now, Paul made it to Rome. How? Under arrest. And that's why he never made it to Spain. You know, if we looked at Paul's plan for his life, we would say he did not complete the course because he intended to get to Spain. But he did complete God's course. See, our plans for our life are not the same as God's plans. Paul never made it to Rome. Excuse me, he never made it to Spain, but he made it to Rome. But he didn't make it to Rome the way he thought he was going to make it to Rome. God's final act in the play called Paul was to bring him to such a place and in such a way in Rome that he could speak to Caesar, that he could speak to Caesar's household. And many people in, the, in Caesar's household got saved. You can read about it in, in Philippians. And, and the Apostle Paul did things he never would have imagined, but his life didn't go the way he thought it was going to go. Humanly speaking, he did not accomplish all he had hoped to accomplish, but he did fulfill his ministry according to God's standard because God's standard for finishing the course is to stay on the course of ministry until God brings it to a close. When I went to the hospital to see Ernie Hill, that's, if you don't know Ernie, it's Ernestine. So if you can picture uh, uh, a lovely woman who sits over there. I went to see her at the hospital on uh, Friday. She had a major stroke, and she's probably really not expected to recover. And I thought to myself, in fact, I had to ask Colleen, her daughter, I said, didn't you guys do the welcome room last week? She said, yeah. And that, that's my last picture of Ernestine, is her over here kind of cleaning up, and we're kind of the last uh, two folks out of the door, and, and, and that's when I got a chance to greet her. I said, oh, how you doing? Shook her hand, and, and they're kind of cleaning up and doing stuff. And next time I see her, she's in a hospital bed she probably won't get out of. She finished the course. God wants us to serve until the day he takes us out. There's no retirement for Christians. If I've stopped preaching and started stepping on toes, I'll take that, retired folks. There's no retirement from the Lord. Have a nice vacation, but serve the Lord. Don't, don't think that someday you're going to retire and, and be fat and happy 
and, and just hang out all the time. Say, no, you know, be like a Pastor Bill Belshaw, a good friend of mine who served the Lord in so many ways. And one time he was, we were in a seminar on finances for pastors. And he said, I'm trying to invest in such a way that when I retire, I can travel and preach and serve the Lord and, and, and be self-sufficient that way. And I can just go wherever the Lord wants me to go. I thought, what a great thing. He's not planning to stop teaching. He just planned to stop getting paid. Paul finished the course. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in a steward that one be found faithful. The word steward comes from the Greek culture of, of a person who was in charge. We would call him a manager. But in that day, people would have a household and there would be the family and then there would be the servants and there would be a person who was in charge of the household and he was the steward. And Paul said, what's required in the steward is faithfulness. That's why we defined finishing the course as staying on it until God waves the checkered flag. There is no end to the Christian race except the end that God brings. Now, there's two things that will keep us from finishing the course, and they're both right here. Therefore, since we're all surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the cloud of witnesses is all the faithful people mentioned in Hebrews 11, people who trusted the Lord. He said, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The weight is a reference to things that slow us down in the Christian life, but are not wicked in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with having a job, but we have to ask the question, does this job help me serve the Lord or hinder me from serving the Lord? And then there are things that are sinful in and of themselves. One of the reasons... We need to put sin aside is so we can serve the Lord. If we hold on to sin, if we hold on to sin with one hand and try to serve the Lord with the other hand, we don't serve the Lord because he's not honored by a life that's full of sin. Not only that, but it drags on us. And, and the truth is, when we let sin stay in our life, it pulls us in its direction. We don't pull it in our direction. It pulls us. One of the verses somebody discovered in Sunday school last week and applied it to the workplace was, was from 1 Corinthians 15, Be not deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. You try to hang on to sin, it will corrupt you. It will not go the other way. We have to let go of those things. Let go of the weights which drag us down and let go of the sin that drag us down so we can stay running on that track. Because when you come to the day that your death is imminent, you want to be able to look back and say, I've been running with the Lord. That's what gives you confidence in facing that day. The fifth reason that Paul was strong in the face of death is because he had been consistent. He had been consistent in faith, and I should have wrote, written it, consistent in the faith. Look at verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept 
the faith. The word the is in the Greek text, and it's important to us because Paul didn't say, you know, I just kept on believing. No matter what happened, I just believed. There's a truth to that, but there are people in the secular world which will say the same thing. Well, you just got to believe. Well, believe in what? That's the important thing. That's what the word the points to. It's like this verse here from Jude, this truth. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. He's talking about God's truth. And this makes it clear as well. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Apostle Paul says, I kept the faith. I didn't waver on God's truth. I didn't waver on what God has told us. I kept the faith. Commentator John Phillips wrote it this way. Satan had sought to undermine Paul's teaching by opposing him. There had been Galatian legalists, Jewish ritualist, Colossian Gnostics. There had been forged letters. There were vicious attacks on his integrity, his personal appearance, his unpolished speech. Paul's stand against Satan was simple. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. What God had committed to Paul, Paul committed back to God. God defines Christian maturity in great part as stability in the faith. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ. God says an immature Christian is one that is swayed by every doctrinal idea that comes along. And he says maturity is when we get a hold of this truth and we stand firm no matter what waves beat on us. Christian maturity in large part is stability in the faith. Do you know the faith? And have you lived what you know enough to be stable in the faith? When I would visit uh, Mike Coogan in the months before his death, sometimes I would read scripture, and I wouldn't necessarily—I would always read scripture, I should say—but I wouldn't always say where it was from. I would just open it up and, and start reading, and he would cite the reference. One of the last times I, I was there, I read some truth, and I, I'm not certain which one it was now, but he said, "I got to think more about that." I thought, boy, there's a guy that knows God's word. And, and I suspect <laughs> that's why he was confident facing his imminent death. What a great thing. Certainly we're not happy that he's gone, but happy that he marched all the way on the race course God set out for him saying, I'm headed to be with Jesus. That is the possible strength that we can have if... We face death the way Paul did. The sixth thing that Paul was that made Paul strong in the face of death is he was looking forward to seeing Christ. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. Why did Paul, why was Paul so excited about seeing Jesus? I think this passage from 1 Timothy tells us, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Do you, do you hear the Apostle Paul saying how thankful he was for his salvation? He, he said, <laughs> he, he didn't say in me first like I'm the greatest. He said, I am the greatest example of why God has to be patient. You ever think God needs to be patient with you? The Apostle Paul thought the same thing. He said, man, God had to be so patient to come down and reach me because I was out there persecuting the body of Christ. And then he, he, he looked at his life and he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I, I'm first in requiring God's patience, and I'm first in being a big sinner. And so when God came in and took away his sin and put the life of Christ within, he just looked up to heaven and went, what a great thing! He was excited about his salvation, and so he was excited to see the Savior who gave him salvation. Wow. If you're more excited about your plans for next week than you are about seeing Jesus... You don't know Jesus or yourself very well. The Apostle Paul looked back at his life and he went, Man, I am so looking forward to seeing Jesus. And he was looking forward to seeing him as his Savior, but he was also looking forward to seeing him as his judge. Now many times when we talk about the Bema seat, we talked about that a few weeks ago, we, we get weak in the knees because we're thinking, Oh, I don't know if I've done very good. I just finished one of my classes in my seminary program. And I was looking forward to getting the grade. Because I want to see if I did as good as I thought I did. <laughs> I think that's how the Apostle Paul was. I think he looked at his life and he said, Man, I've given it my all. I've done my best. And God said he's going to reward people. And, and, and I'm, I want to see him and, and get the grade. He was excited as he looked forward. The summer before Sue and I were married, 
She spent part of her time in Salem working and part of her time in Wenatchee, and we got married in Wenatchee at the end of the summer. And I was in Bellevue working as a pastoral intern. And our communication back in the dark ages was by snail mail and by telephone. Unfortunately, that was when Ma Bell owned the phone company, and it was still very expensive to make long-distance phone calls. And so there weren't a lot of long-distance phone calls. (laughs) And two or three times, maybe during the summer, we were able to get together. I enjoyed being an almost pastor for that summer, but my mind was never very far away from her because that's what I was really looking forward to. Get this summer thing done and get married. Man, I was excited about that. I was excited because I finally convinced a really decent woman that she ought to marry me. If you're looking forward to seeing Jesus, you don't need to dread death. Fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith, and look forward with joy to your departure for heaven. Father, help us. It's so easy for us to get our eyes fixed on this planet and the stuff of this life. But that's not what's real. What's real is you and doing your work. Father, with every one of our sisters and brothers who goes to meet you, heaven becomes more real. And we look forward to that day when we will all be together. And when this world will be culminated and then remade and eternity will begin And we will be with you forever. Help us to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. Help us to be ready to look back with joy when you call us home. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.